welcome to the Sunny 16 podcast episode number 202. That's a wild note three. I'm going to go 203. <laughs> That's my final offer on this week's episode. Um, oh, what a treat we got in store for you tonight. Uh, before I tell you who is here, I'm afraid I have to tell you who he's actually driven off, um, because I had hoped to have a lovely full team here this evening with my wonderful co-hosts, uh, Rachel and Claire, um, both sadly not here this evening, um, and I can only put it down to the person who is here, which is, for the first time on kind of a proper Sunny 16 podcast, taking up the co-host duties in AIDS absence, it is the wonderful John Whitmore. John, welcome to a proper sh- proper podcast that's not in my <laughs> <Hi>. shade. <laughs> Hi. Hello. Um, How's it going? Uh, it's good, dude. I don't know what you did to Rachel and Claire, but like I said, um, neither of them could make it this evening at, at very short notice when they heard you were going to be here. So um, <laughs> that, that always happens to me. <laughs> Clear a room like nobody's business. It's your yeah. lockdown beard that does it. I think people are worried that there might be small furry animals <laughs> living in it. There's all sorts. It's what's in the hair that I'm most worried about. Yeah, that hair is... Um, I don't know whether you... Well, people can obviously see your hair on your YouTube videos, um, and it's become quite a pompadour lately. Anybody who does not <laughs> instantly recognise John's name uh, on Instagram and Twitter and YouTube, you are The Dark Shed at The Dark Shed. Isn't that right, John? That's correct, yep. Because you have a very... That's all platforms. And I'm, I'm nearly there on YouTube. Apparently when you get to the huge quantity of 100 subscribers on YouTube, you can get your own name. And I'm, I think I'm on 84 at the moment, so here's my shameless plug. Please go and subscribe so I can get my tag. And if anybody else has got 100 subscribers, don't get it before me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this will be the first of many shameless plugs, because it's important. You know, yeah. John's putting the effort. Um, so... At the moment, you don't have your tags. So if people want to go and find you on your YouTube channel, you've been doing some cool stuff over there for the last few weeks. Where do they need to go at the moment to find your YouTube channel? Uh, I think if you search for Dark Shed, it will take you there um, because I've been hashtagging in the comments and stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, in theory, you'd, you'd still find it if you search for uh, Dark Shed. Oh, no, Dark Shed Live, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Brilliant. my name, John Whitmore. Oh, <laughs> I don't really know how it works. Marketing genius John Whitmore is on the show this week to talk to us about how to promote your YouTube channel. Uh, badly, it turns out. Um, well, let's talk about that to begin with, John, because this is what you've been doing um, during the lockdown period, because your work's obviously been hugely affected by all this stuff. Yeah. So how has um, Dark Shed Live been going? Tell us what you've been doing. <sighs> well, so... Uh, <laughs> why, why, why do I do it? Why, I don't know. Um, so when lockdown happened, I obviously couldn't do any workshops anymore. Um, and I enjoy spending time alone in the darkroom. But <laughs> at the same time, I thought it might be quite nice to somehow connect other people into it. Film yourself at home with, alone in the darkroom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's not appealing about that? Um, so then I just... Like, for years, I've avoided computers and technology and all that sort of stuff. And I just got massively into like streaming technologies. And I ended up buying myself like a Raspberry Pi. I don't know if you've seen I don't know what that is. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not a complete jump. And I'm sure all no, of our I'm listeners sorry, do. Yeah. But for, for <laughs> explain what it is for listeners who might be thinking, what does this delicious pie have to do with anything? It's just a, it's a tiny little computer, isn't it, that runs on a Linux operating system. And for that, you could then set up a server that accepts streaming video and you could then send that out to multiple platforms and obviously it requires requires lots of 
geekery and and I just got involved in that and I haven't done that in ages and it was a huge kind of I guess a distraction in a way from what was going on in the real world um, and of course it didn't work <laughs> none of it worked and it just kept on crashing and I got stuttery streams and it was all just a disaster because I've never done anything like this before as well um, it was just a nightmare but hey you live and learn, don't you? It's you do. I, I think it's worth noting because, you know, listeners might hear you say, oh, I've avoided computers for years and then I just got a Raspberry Pi and cracked on with this. That you did actually have a career working with computers before you avoided them for years. Because I think this is probably the coolest thing about you. I mean, obviously, the very longest of cool <laughs> things. But for people of a certain age, uh, John used to work for Gremlin Graphics, which is going to mean <laughs> nothing to most people. But to the people that does, that's serious kudos. Gremlin Graphics and Atari. Um, what, what a CV, John. What a CV. Well, technically, it was the same company. Like, I was at Gremlin for a week before they were then bought up by Infograms. And then they changed their name to Atari because they bought Atari. I think mm-hmm. that's the way it went. Um, I can't remember. But yeah, it was years ago. But, uh, yeah, kind of used to a lot of software development or games programming. Um, so yeah, it was just it was nice to kind of get back into just, I don't know, just get really massively involved in something. The, the prob- the, one of the reasons I stopped doing that was because I tend to get quite addicted to what I'm working on. And it just becomes all-consuming, and I can't stop. I can't stop myself. I just keep going and going and going until I found a solution. Um, fortunately, this kind of had an, an end, quite a quick end goal, and all the software's pre-written. It was just about mm. kind of compiling it and installing it and stuff on the on the device. So there wasn't too much um, geekery, but yeah, it, it was enough to kind of make me realise computers aren't that bad, and I got a fair amount of pleasure from it. So. And you obviously you got there in the end with it because my understanding is that you've got a three camera set up in the dark shed now. Uh, I think I've got four now. <laughs> four cameras. Mm. Okay, talk talk us through the setup. So, um, for for listeners who have not yet seen this, um, John's dark shed is massive. It's it's like what would you say, John? Four times the size of my shed. Uh, oh yeah, it might yeah. Compared to yours, it's probably about four times. Oh, right. you didn't have to say it like that, but um, it's a big shed, <laughs> and it has Compared a lot to of your tiny shed. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not tiny. All right, uh, <laughs> never mind. Let's not compare shed sizes. No, I, I love your shed. Your shed's great. <laughs> Thank it's, you. Uh, Thank you. Um, it's so cozy. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, it is cosy. We spent uh, several happy hours in this little up together. It was very romantic. Um, so tell us about the setup that you've got then with all these cameras. Uh, so what did I do to start with? I used. Um, oh, do you want to know like the technical details of it in case somebody else wants to have a go at this? It depends on how technical it's, the technical. It's, it's, de- you, well, let's go for it. I'll tell so, you if I get bored. Uh, so I used old mobile phones, mm-hmm. right? like old smartphones with cameras. You can install an app on them that would then stream via your Wi-Fi network mm-hmm. to your computer, and then yeah. broadcasting software would capture that. Now, obviously, as soon as you start doing that, you've never done anything like before. Your router then goes, oh, no, I don't like having all this data being transmitted through it, and it just keels over. Um, so then I went down the route of getting cheap USB cameras, and I've got, like, a security camera that's also got an infrared mode. So when I turn the lights out, you can still see the trays on the Ooh. stream uh, in the dark, which is is quite nice. Um and, yeah, and then I tried to get another, like, uh, a webcam thing, but all webcams were sold out because, obviously, everybody started working from home at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I couldn't get hold of a webcam, uh, so I used 
my DSLR in the end and got a HDMI capture device. Um, I treated myself to that. And yeah, so that's kind of where I ended up. Uh, I used a GoPro as well, an old GoPro, which I've got in front of the enlarger. And it kind of works. Um, like I've done a couple of sessions where I basically just printed um, and talk through what I was doing, flipping between the cameras and stuff. And it's very slow. It's not like, I had a quick, quick look on YouTube at what sort of content's out there these days. And it's, it's so slick, isn't it? You know, like what people are producing. And it's very, it's very modern and it's incredible. And Have you seen the um, analog television stream lately, John? <laughs> that, that might ease you. Yeah, it's incredibly concern. slick and professional. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and it's just the the pace of darkroom printing is so different to that, mm -hmm. and I don't I don't know how enjoyable it is for people to watch, or it's hard to get I guess pull out the relevant information because there might be a good bit of like an interesting bit, and then there's twenty minutes of kind of nothing before mm. something else happens again that's useful. But like I've had a few people online as well at the same time and chatted to them and they've been putting questions in and so forth so I've been going along. So I think there's potential there, um, particularly with a bigger audience at the same time. Not that I want a bigger audience, but it just like from a conversation point of view, because as with the Analog Wonderland one, it's great when you've got the watchers talking as well, um, not just the, the, like, the actual stream going on, because everyone's like chatting to each other in, in that part as well then, aren't they? Mm. So are you still doing it twice a week at the moment? Uh, I am, although <laughs> this is perfect timing because I've decided to take next week off um, and have a little break. Nailed it. So yeah, come check out my YouTube. Yeah, perfect. Um, so yeah, I'm going to have a break next week, but and then I'll probably only go down to once a week. It's just, yeah, just with like, it sounds stupid, doesn't it? Being stuck at home, just saying you've got too much on, but it's just like everything with, family-wise it's just it's not working for me doing it twice a week so i think mm. i'll just have one big session a week where i'll do like a short section at the start which is like bite size and people can just jump in for that and then i'll just go into a longer printing session that's more in depth um, if people want to hang around for it yeah so what kind of stuff have you been doing so far on it because we we talked to quite Ooh. and we hear from quite a lot of people who are just getting back into doing darkroom stuff um and yeah. at the moment you can't get out and do courses you can't go into community darkrooms and get advice so the fact that you're there even though it is a slow process that's good seeing somebody go through it slowly and methodically so what kind of things have you been doing recently well I can't, I, in some respects i didn't want to do like tutorial based um videos because there are loads of them out there and they're they're incredible like rachel's ones for example they're superb because they present the information you need in a nice bite-sized form um, and a very understandable form so i didn't kind of want to go down the route of doing tutorials so i've just been experimenting with i did like photograms uh, solarization what else have i been working on and kind of just things like projects i've got ongoing as well that would bring up particular topics regards different paper types and a bit of split grading, I think of it. Like, but those things just happen, don't they? When you're making prints, it's not like I've specifically gone, oh, we're going to do a split grading tutorial today. It's like I'm working on this print, and to get this result, I am using a split grade in this situation. So it's more about the kind of application of the tools that you've got available rather mm. than going 
let's learn this tool today. Yeah. Learn this technique, I should say. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes sense. I'm guessing everything you've done so far is still up on your YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I, I do stupidly hit upload at the end of the session <laughs> to make it available for people afterwards. You don't need to go through. I mean, how long? Because um, you do. How long does the long session tend to last? Or are they both the same uh, length? Oh, uh, they're both two hours. I think I, I did one yesterday. I don't want to talk about this too much. It's really dull. <laughs> people can just check them out. But at, like one of the, your enthusiasm is making it bringing it to life, John. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's ridiculous, isn't it? Um, uh, Alex Davenport joined me mm -hmm. via Skype. We got the technology he in Australia? yesterday. He's Australian, but he's in Cambridge. He's in Cambridge, gotcha. Yeah. So uh, he joined me yesterday and gave us a little tour of his dark room. And then we went through some images that he's working on at the moment and we brought them up in Lightroom and just kind of chatted about them with a view of kind of almost like critique i guess um but just have a, like a different set of eyes on them to his so he could kind of use that as feedback for him going forward with the project and that was really interesting it's not darkroom related at all other than that they were darkroom prints mm. um but really enjoyed that that was good and uh another one I did was connecting uh you know dan dan k over in hong kong yeah yeah and Thomas, I can't remember his surname, over in Berlin, we all connected our dark rooms together via Skype and recorded that as well while we were doing some printing. That was really good fun, actually, when you've got like three people all doing different prints. Yeah. Um, but we didn't do that live. That was just a test. But that's also available on, on the channel if you want to check that out. That sounds like, like I said, I think it's really good just seeing people actually even in a non-tutorial form, just seeing people doing it is really useful, especially when you're starting off, um, because it gives you insight into what the process really is beyond just a lot of bullet points. The bullet points are great, but to make things interesting and YouTube-friendly, things are compressed, and um, and you kind of want to be able to sit there and go through the process of somebody doing it. Um, so everyone should definitely go and check it out. I think John's given a really great <laughs> sales pitch for it. Um, <laughs> Don't check it out. <laughs> Do check it out. And even though John's been lazy and taking the week off, is two days a week worth of doing stuff. <laughs> lazy John, as, we, as he's known to his friends. Um, on the subject of you were saying you were helping um, Al go through his prints and give like an objective view, you were telling me that you've been sorting through your negatives recently. So what are you doing with that? Uh, so I've got... Uh, I've actually got it in front of me right now. Um, I've got two massive piles of negatives one is from when i first started to get back into film what was it like five years ago now um basically this is just my big pile of negs that mm -hmm. over time get completely disorganized because i'll pull a, a sleeve out and never put it back in its right place yes so <laughs> does it start <laughs> out organized a... is there any writing on the sleeves is there what's the organizational system we've had a lot of conversations uh, about this, especially on backing paper how are your negatives right. organized give us the uh john whitmore breakdown break it down oh, i just put a number on them mm. uh i've got those like sticky numbers you know the ones that you get like a pair of um on a reel uh, and then say when yes. I scan them yes <laughs> i don't know what they're useful but they're, they're available on ebay i think that's where i got from um and then that number 
correlates to the file name that I scan them at. So basically, I use a Lightroom database mm-hmm. as a way of cataloging back yeah. to the yeah to, yeah. As the, to that sounds the like a good idea. Yeah, see that's that sounds simple enough that actually even I could implement that because currently I don't have any way at all of organizing my negatives. <laughs> they're organized. They're in like <laughs> on Lightroom. They are all the dates that I scanned them, the camera they were shot with, and the film. So at least there's information mm-hmm. there. But as far as the like the physical negatives, they're all just in sleeves in fast together. The end. There's no. <laughs> there's nothing. It's just two big <laughs> files full of negatives. Like if you want to find it, you have to go through it. But I, I quite like the idea of just having a number so that you can just go. Okay, put the the number twist seventy two on your Lightroom file for them and the same sticker on the negatives. That sounds pretty simple. Yeah. Yeah, and then like sort of in Lightroom, it's then really easy just to kind of put things in collections, isn't it? So mm. I've got a huge collection of photos from, say, Coventry, you know, where I'm, but it covers a broad range of imagery, which cross-reference into lots of different uh, negatives. But I can easily trace that back to the source when it comes to wanting to print one of them. Then, mm. um, and I, I never write anything like film type or when shot or subject because particularly at the moment like my rolls of film the the content of them there's no consistency to one roll of film yeah like I, you you have this don't you? you you have a roll of film in your camera for a long period so mm-hmm. the, the number of subjects within that can vary greatly now at the moment i've got like a third of the role will be from an exercise walk a third of it are pretty much the same shot as my daughter just eating some food badly and then the other third will be like a flower in the garden so it's like how do you label that in a negative sheet whereas in lightroom i can just have a collection for each of those and they just get tagged yeah and it just keeps them all together it does seem like a much better system okay so you're going through these negs for what purpose um well so the other set of negatives that i've got are from uh, 20 years ago um i went traveling for a year and it was all shot on film and i wasn't classified myself as a photographer then um but i thought i'd actually as loads of people are going through their archives that's a bit of a grand word for what it is really it's um i just thought i'd scan them all in Mm. and actually get good digital versions of them and do the same filing system because they're they're all a mess they've all just been in the loft and just kind of bunched up together so i just wanted to like actually collect them all and what's quite interesting is like so about four years ago four yeah four or five years ago went traveling again and went to a lot of the same destinations as 20 years ago so i've got a lot of similar location shots but 20 years apart so Mm. i'm going to start to piece them all together and kind of make a little project from that i think yeah that's um I, I actually god it's making me realize how old i am also because i'm thinking how long is it since i went traveling it's like oh that's heading towards 20 years ago and uh it is a constant source of chagrin to me that i don't have the negatives from the pictures that i took then um i've only oh, got no. the prints at some point you know in the intervening 20 well uh, 17 years i think it's at this point at some point in that time they've just been binned you know not by me but yeah. you know someone's gone oh you don't need these anymore and so the only they only exist as prints 
in a photo album, which as I sit here and think about that, seems like the dodgiest <laughs> only way of keeping these pictures from a well, once-in-a-lifetime thing. I probably ought to scan all of those in, really. My The prints that I've got from these negatives, I, I do think I've lost some of the negatives as well, mm. unfortunately, but the prints are all just in a big pile and loads of them are stuck together. And oh, I don't think no. I'm going to lose some of them. Yeah, so I'm kind of, gl I'm hoping I've got the negs from those those prints. Most most of them are crap anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it is, but it, like, as I said, like this, that's pretty much the only time I've ever been travelling. These are, they're not great pictures because I wasn't a photographer. I've talked about it before. Like, the camera that I had with me was this little purple translucent point and shoot camera um that just went around the whole thing with me i think it's a samsung fino ask for it by name <laughs> um, and uh you know but there were pictures from places that i'll likely never go to again and um and, and having only having the physical copies of them in paper form it just feels very vulnerable. They're in an album. They're not quite as yeah. cack-handedly sorted out as yours are. So I think maybe I ought to make that a project of digitising those at some point. So at least I have a backup of them. Because if they would get destroyed, that would be a real bummer. <laughs> really would. Yeah, it, it, it is a real shame. Like, even though like I started scanning some of these and some of them are scratched, like, like the image quality is awful. Mm. But the sparks of memory that memories that I'm getting from them. Like actually one of them I uh, just got from the screen at the moment is a photo of a warehouse in Auckland in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. Did you you went to New Zealand, didn't you? Yeah. And it's just like it's at the crossroads and I can like looking at the photo, I can then remember being there taking that photo and it just it just came back just like that. And yeah. it's like I would never have had that memory without seeing that photo um in whatever form it's in. You know, and I, that's that's a fantastic thing so yeah I'd, I'd get on the case with with scanning those yeah yeah you and i were talking um about this whole idea of going through negs um because I, I and i haven't got around to doing it yet everybody will be unsurprised to hear this thought of and i mean it doesn't even have to be new negatives but to go through essentially a roll of films worth of negatives and actually sit down and sort of frame by frame go through look at each one objectively and go okay is this picture a success? Yes, no. <laughs> and um, if no... You should come on my YouTube channel, Graham, and uh, we'll do it together. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, or we will do that. We will do that. Your YouTube channel's at really awkward times. One's in the morning and one's on a Thursday. I'm working. It's, you gotta... Yeah, well, this is what I'm saying. It's just, it's the stupid... I, I did them at those times because it kind of made sense regards kind of feeding and looking after Harry and stuff. So um, I'm going to change it in the future. going to have it after dark. In the evening. I'm, I'm going to do it on Thursdays at 8pm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that sounds like a good idea. Counter-programming, I like it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, we definitely should. Because I, I think I just, I, I think it would be a really useful thing. And I don't know whether you sort of sat down this, but the idea of going through and like assessing the pictures on the roll that have worked and why they've worked and equally and perhaps more importantly, the ones that haven't and why they haven't. Mm -hmm. Because I get the feeling that I'm repeating a lot of the same mistakes over and over again. And because I'm not stopping to look, then I'm never picking myself up on it. Um, so, yeah, we'll have to do yeah, that I, then, John. Completely. Like, actually, that was one of the reasons that really drew me back into film photography, because I was doing that a lot with digital. Because it doesn't matter, does it? No. You can keep making those mistakes and you can 
you see you're making them immediately and you rectify it, but you don't learn, well, I wasn't learning. So I, I do that every time I was shooting digital. It was just like, yeah, I can just keep making mistakes. It's fine. Mm. Oh, the, the counterpoint for that with film for me, as somebody who is really slow getting through a roll of film, is that I start <laughs> getting to the point like, oh, I'll just, I'll just point at ending a fire just to get through this yeah. roll of film. And that's when you start getting a lot of real rubbish because you know there's not a picture there. You, you, you just, but, but I just want to get through it to see the one or two pictures I took three months ago that I think might have been worth yeah, seeing. Yeah. Um, and it's such a, it's you, such a waste. Have you ever bulk loaded film? Just to do sh- like shorter runs, to say like you have like ten shots on a roll or something. You know, I I absolutely have the capability to do that, and I've only done it a couple of times, just because I kind of never get around to it. But yes, that's absolutely what I should do. Um, I've got some uh, special HP five grain classic, which is um, <laughs> from the nineteen eighties or something, and it's so grainy, it's fabulous. Um, so I've got that. I've got some a. Oh, what's the 50 ISO film? Not the Ilford one. The, um... I don't know. Oh, Polypan. <laughs> Polypan F. Um, I bought right. a short bulk roll of that, which seems like an oxymoron, but um, <laughs> a, a <laughs> discount bulk roll. I think it's about yeah. three and a half metres or something. I don't know, enough to get a few rolls out of it. Anyway, so I've got some of that. And I have still got unopened in the fridge. 200 feet of tungsten balanced colour cine film which amazingly oh nice yeah I haven't got around to using it I really have got to to get that but and the problem is now that I have the dark shade with the power and and the fridge and everything in there I'm really running out of excuses for why I haven't done these things um yeah so but yeah I think if if you want to if you need somebody to uh, take some of that cine film off your hands or the I'll happily give that a couple of roles as well. Yeah, do you have you done much with cine film? No, no, I haven't. I, it's always intrigued me, but I've never kind of pushed the button, as it were, just to, to commit to it. So I yeah, could probably spare you a couple of feet <laughs> out of my two. <laughs> I think it's two hundred and fifty feet of that guy. I think I can probably spare you. Oh, a co- I know, right? Tungsten balance, <laughs> remjet coated cine film. You're welcome, everyone. Did you get that from a supplier that actually supplies to? the movie industry yes is that how you buy that stuff yeah it is hang on a second i'm just gonna bring it up actually um uh because it's um a company called uh oh no i've lost it now obviously oh hang on no i have got it on here um yeah it's a company that supplies to the movie industry but uh frame 24 is the place uh frame 24.co.uk and they supply bulk rolls to the movie industry and filmmakers but occasionally and it is just very occasionally and it's kind of you just have to be lucky getting on there when they have something um they have clearance stock which might be short ends or leaders or um you know just random off cuts of stuff um that you can get at a really good discount uh um and so that's what I did. Um, and, and it tends to be stuff like 50D or um, 250D or 250T. I mean, the kind of the holy grail from going on there is to see if they got some double X. Um, because obviously that's a non-Remjet coated Sydney film that's really nice, has gives lovely results. Right. Um, and you, yeah. can, you can buy it ready rolled from um cine still and from the fpp and i'm sure there are other places as well i think nick and trick um but to go and get mm-hmm. a bulk roll of it cheap would be the dream and so i every now and again check in on it but it's pretty rare um that they have stuff but you know it's worth keeping an eye on um you two could end up with 
Uh, I don't know. I go there and have a look. It's quite expensive, but then you are buying it in a thousand foot reel, John. So you really want to think long and hard (laughs) before you pull the trigger on that. But I'm not sure. (laughs) Somebody told me after I bought 250 feet um, that Cine still, sorry, Cine film, not Cine still, Cine film doesn't have the same sort of shelf life that consumer films do. because it doesn't need to, um, in that sense. You know, it, it doesn't say, say good because right. it's built, made to be used. And so uh, we'll find out. It'll be yeah. an adventure that will go on together. So, um, but yeah, I've got this tungsten film. Yeah, I've even bought the um, balancing filters to, so to, I can daylight balance it. So I've got all the stuff. Again, I just need to get my finger out and do it, which is always that. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Um, all the gear. So yeah, I can't remember how we even got to that point. Oh yeah, bulk rolling film. So <laughs> yeah, I mean that is the solution, isn't it? Do short rolls, and I think maybe that's just the direction I need to move oh, in. Is right. just doing more short rolls. It's honestly why, if I'm looking for something to do and, and I want to do something creative and in the spur of the moment, I'm most likely to go large format because if I go large format, I know that I can do it beginning to end, even if I don't have mm-hmm. much time. I can get to an end result, or even if it's only one frame, I can just take that one picture and do it. Whereas that's no good, even with medium format. I'll go, oh, I fancy doing something, yeah. and uh, you know, I'll take a few pictures, and then that might sit there for potentially years. <laughs> What's the. <laughs> yeah, like, even though you've got less. Fr- I find I've got less frames on medium format. I shoot a proportion of that kind of relative to the 36 mm. and 35 as well. So I can shoot 10 35 frames yeah. and two out of like the 10 or 12 medium format. And then I, then I stop. So it's not like I'm shooting 10 medium format, the equivalent of the 35. I don't know why that is. It's because I think it's because, as I said, with, with um, 35 mil, you it, it obviously it's not digital but 36 pictures is an awful lot of pictures and it's like well yeah. if this one's crap it doesn't matter i've got another 35 to go but with medium format um i I'd, you think more and you, you're less snap happy because you want to make the most out of them because you, you know you've yeah. only got 12 shots or eight shots or 15 shots depending on what camera you're shooting so it's um you're more mindful of it i think in general so mindful so. Mindful. Mindful. Mi- mindful. It's all about mindfulness, John. It's all about the mindfulness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, that let's we let that lead into the next thing that we're going to talk about because we had had a vague idea for, for a thing that we want to talk <laughs> about this evening. <laughs> we had a vague idea the Sunny Sixteen podcast story, and then it slipped away <laughs> into the ephemeral night. Because um, I and what put me in mind of this is I've been chatting to my friend Rory, um, who I have mentioned in the past. He's a uh, excessively young talented photographer very obnoxious i mean he's not obnoxious the fact that he's young and (laughs) talented is what's obnoxious and he's doing fantastically well um he's showing loads of great was he on the um photo walk yes yes is that rory that is the rory yes you met him he's a lovely young man um Yeah, yeah And he's doing great guns. He's um, doing loads of fashion photo shoots. He's got like stuff going into magazines. He's he's putting in the work and getting great results. Anyway, where this becomes relevant is that um, he dropped me a line and we were just chatting about stuff. And he said he's thinking about getting a medium medium format camera. He wants to get a medium format mm-hmm. camera. Um, right. And 
he was thinking that he wants an RB67. Yeah. And my response was, why? Yeah. And, and it got me... <laughs> I like the intake of breath before. It's like, <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> and it kind of got me into sort of... I, with any, not just with that, that, that was just the sort of starting point, but with any camera, with any format, like why, why are we using the tools that we're using? Because that's what they are. Ultimately, they're all tools. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of putting aside the extremities. So let's ignore the sub 35 mil because I, with no disrespect to people who enjoy shooting those, they're a kind of novelty thing. And I don't think many yeah. people, I think anybody is really using those for serious long-term use. Um, and ultra-large format, you know, that's a very specialist thing. But 35mm, medium format and large format, why are we using them? And Because it sometimes feels like there's this perception that you you need to be stepping up. It's all about the detail. Um, it's there's kind of this fixation with bigger is better. Um, mm-hmm. You, as part of your many and varied roles, many of the many hats that you wear um, to cover your pompadour hairstyle, is a <laughs> professional photographer. So these things are important to you. you. Like you need to have the right tools for the job. Uh, and you were saying before we started that you essentially have one of each format. Yeah. You, know, you have more than that. I know you have more cameras than. That. I've seen them all over <laughs> your tables, but work-wise, you have one of each format that you use. So, I, I like I, I'll, I'll tell you what cameras I've I've got. Okay, and I don't normally do. I don't normally talk about what cameras I've got because they are very specific to me and what works for me. Um, and I think that's the best route to go down. So, like, mm. for thirty-five mil, I've got uh, a Nikon. I started with a Nikon FM3A. And I got that because I was shooting um, Nikon DSLR for work, so my lenses were compa- my manual lenses were compatible with it. Mm. Okay, and so I started shooting with that. It's all great. Uh, it's a lovely solid camera, but it's like manual focus. <clears throat> so for event photography, I got asked to a wedding. I don't normally do weddings, uh, but I was crapping myself about focus. You know, at a wedding. So I was like. I need something that's, that's a bit better than this. So I invested in an F6, okay, which is a wonderful camera and I haven't touched my FM3A since mm. um, because it's just like, I, I dropped it on the floor the other day. I dropped oh. it on the road, right? But it's absolutely fine. It's got a small crack on the front of it, but it's absolutely fine. That's how amazing like and a working camera that is. For somebody yeah. who's actually using it um not just to like go out and take a few like family shots or whatever it's rock solid and it's incredibly fast the focusing's great on it um it's just superb so like they're they're very much working tools Mm. um medium format i've got a mamiya 7 which i i absolutely love apart from the shape of it um i bought that like talking about my traveling photos when I went traveling five years ago um I bought it for that trip and I was just getting back into film and I was like I want to shoot medium format rather than 35 mil and that was I came to the conclusion that was the one I wanted because of the metering um <coughs> yeah the metering in it basically and it it's just a, it's a horrible shape 
to take traveling yeah. <laughs> i think it's got interchangeable lenses as well like the lenses on it are superb mm. um but yeah like but it took me to like have that trip with it to realize the form factor of it is just shocking really I think, uh, yeah, I think when we were talking to Dan Rubin on the um, analog television chat the other day, he was, yeah, I think he that may have been the camera he listed as one of the ugliest cameras. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's got a face yeah, on your mother would love. <laughs> yeah, and I, but I do, I do love it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's an, it enabled me to get some, in, in my view, some incredible photos from, and I wasn't very proficient with film photography at that point, and I still got some great photos with it. Yeah. Um, so, and it, it is fairly solid for like that sort of photography. You know, I was like jumping in, in and out of tuk-tuks with it, you know, and it, it's fine, you know. Um, so that's kind of, I have got another, I've got a, a, a TLR, I've got a Mamiya C330 medium mm -hmm. format, which, I very rarely use um it's kind of it's good when I go to like do workshops and art fairs and stuff to have on the table because it's just very <laughs> catching I guess shame <laughs> on like you people shame look at on it. you well <laughs> people look at it and just go oh that's an old camera you know can you still get a film for it? it's like yeah you can mm. <laughs> yeah um so I very rarely shoot with that and then I've got a chroma for my large format Camera. Yeah, so I've pretty much got one camera for each format. Yeah, that's awesome because you got one of those um, old-fashioned chromas, haven't you? Did I don't know whether you know this, John. <laughs> uh, I'm and it's literally it's ready. I've heard from Steve it's ready and it's going to be posted probably within the next week or so. I'm getting one of those fancy new carbon fiber chromas. <laughs> Have you heard of them? Oh my god, no. they're so cool. <laughs> um, I'm not saying that yours isn't cool, but it's just substantially less cool than mine, which is made of carbon fiber. Um, Mine's number five, though. You know, like in 10 years' time, when these things come collector's pieces, mine's the fifth off the production line. Yeah, so that's true. He's going to have the most value to it. It does, and it does say on the back of yours, number five, doesn't it? On the back of mine, yeah. it says uh, Carbon Adventure, number one. And I think, and I could be wrong on this, <laughs> I think one is a lower number than five. Um, I, I'd have to double check, but you know. <laughs> but hey, it's not a competition, uh, because if it was, Damn clearly, you. I'm really. Uh, yeah. I can't wait till we can next meet up so I can show you my carbon adventure just to make you jealous. <laughs> um, let's go back and look at these. So that's a nice selection of cameras. You, you covered all the bases there. Let's yeah. look at the, because um, I think it's fairly safe to say that, especially, well, I mean, the, the carbon, the chroma is a great 4x5 camera, but the um, your 35mm and your medium format, they are both, mm -hmm. I mean, especially the 35mm, that's like, an utterly top tier 35mm camera isn't it I mean yeah. you cannot buy a a better is not the right word but a more modern like using all of the advances that technology had available to make a 35mm camera like the F6 is it it is the pinnacle Am I, do you agree with that? Uh, well I, I have no experience with anything else that's potentially better um, but if, from my experience, yeah, and it's I, I sometimes forget that I'm like I'll look at the back of it thinking that I'm shooting on digital with it mm. because it's it's got that weight to it, the, the form factor, the speed of it. Um, it's so, just so similar to like my D800. It's like sometimes I just forget that it's film. So why? So when you're going out and shooting professionally, why would mm -hmm. you pick that up and use it when you could use the the D8? 
and and you've got you've got that same user experience and you, there's no need for you to be shooting on film so why if you're going out and doing professional gigs why have you got that camera why would you pick that camera up uh it, it depends on what i'm shooting like a lot of stuff i shoot i do shoot on digital because that's what the client wants i guess i, I don't know what the answer to that like turnaround times for digital are very quick for me now because i think because i've shot a lot of film it's sped up my digital processing time as well so i'm very i shoot less on digital so my post processing is quicker mm -hmm. um, and I generally only shoot black and white um, film as well. So most clients want colour photography. Um, mm. Although I will always shoot a little bit of black and white generally while I'm on those jobs as well because I like the aesthetic of it. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, for somebody who's not shooting professionally, what is the only? Can you see an argument for owning something like an F six if you do not have a professional need for it? Because you I, can you still buy them? I think you can, can't you? Oh, I do think that they they possibly make them still. Don't yeah, they? yeah, I um, I think so. Ooh, clonk. <laughs> yeah. um, but they are there's like three thousand pounds. I think I could be wrong on this. They are they what? are not cheap. I, I okay. I have to write. You talk to me about. <laughs> I've paid nowhere near that amount for I it. Bet, I bet you flipping did. It's all right. Amory won't hear this. Mine, mine was an eBay special. <laughs> Got you. Okay. Um, so, do, I mean, do you think for somebody who, but like I said, my original question, somebody who doesn't, isn't shooting professionally uh, mm -hmm. and doesn't have the things that you said about, oh, you want this ability to meet super quickly and autofocus super quickly. Yeah. Is there any reason why a, a hobbyist photographer should be seeking after getting a Nikon F6, do you think? Uh, yeah, I do. I think if you're a hobbyist sports photographer, you know, it's, it, it depends what subject you're shooting, doesn't it? If you're maybe shooting... I've never done it myself, but maybe wildlife, if you're shooting birds and you've got a long lens that you're, you need to focus on birds in the sky. Um, I think it's got a fairly fast frame rate as well for action shots. You know, like, there are plenty of hobbyists out there that shoot those sort of subjects. So, yeah, there's definitely a case for it. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, I suppose it feels to me, uh, incidentally, I'm just, whilst you were talking, that's my distracted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the most recent thing I can find um, is this is from December 2019 it's an article on Petapixel saying you can still buy a brand new Nikon F6 if you're interested um, you can find it at some retails, retailers for $2,549 uh, that was back in December okay. you could buy it new for that so um, right. yeah uh, quite expensive kind of regretting that I dropped it on the floor and I've got a crack <laughs> in mine now <laughs> Yeah, that might not have been the best financial move. Um, no. The thing, like, for me, I, this, this sounds a bit ridiculous, I guess, when you're considering those sort of values to to the equipment, but I, I, I'm i buying it for a work use. Yeah. You know, so I'm covering the costs and the jobs that I'm doing, and like I say, it survived that fall, you know, and that's what I need from a camera, um, ultimately. And if it breaks, then... I've, I've either got insurance to cover it or I've got like I've got the income coming in to cover the cost of the equipment because that, I'm using it for that purpose now if you're a hobbyist you've got to justify that cost whether you can afford it haven't you for your hobby yeah yeah absolutely yeah. Um... people spend far more on other hobbies you know like 
I used to do a fair amount of mountain biking. The costs of mountain bikes is just ridiculous, and that that's a hobby for the majority of people. Um, fundamentally, is there anything that the F six does that you that you think is unique to it? That that um, I suppose the the zoom, not the zoom, the autofocus and the um, and the super, super fast shutter speed really are the things, aren't they? That you can't get. You know, like I said, I've got a lovely Nikon F three. I can't do those things with it. Mm -hmm. So, so it's. Um, it, I, I, do you know what? I don't know. I, I probably don't use half the features on it. Like, it's the it's the autofocus mainly uh, and the metering. Like now, I've I've used it a few times and I've kind of. A lot of the stuff that I photograph is in low light. So, in how to have the metering set up for the way the film that I use and how I'm pushing it and then how I develop it to get mm. a good exposure, um, all that combined. And that's the case with any camera though, isn't it? You know, yeah. you, you've got to go through that process to find what balance works for the film that you're using and yeah. your equipment and your, your developing process and everything. So, uh, do you know what? I'm, I'm probably not using half the features that, that make it the value that it is. Mm. Um, I mean, this is the thing, this is like I said, the, the, my thought behind all of this is that um, I I think I've yet to find a situation with almost any of my cameras where um, when I look at a picture, when I go through my negatives, when I look at what's worked and what hasn't worked, where the problem, where the ca where the picture has failed to satisfy it because of the camera or the lens. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, if you're using... Um, a plastic camera, something that's a bit shonky, then you know, you're you're opening yourself up to more variables. Then, um, and maybe if the choice of format and the film you've gone with isn't giving you quite as much detail as you might want for a particular shot, yeah. you, but but on the whole, I I don't think I've ever had a situation where when I've been shooting with any of my um, good standard cameras, you know, almost any SLR. Um, or even point and shoot and stuff like that, where I've looked and gone, oh, that picture would have been so much better if I'd shot it on X, Y, or Z. That's it's never that that lets it down. Um, oh no, it's, it's it's user error that lets it down, mm. isn't it? <laughs> you know, it's it's your own uh, understanding and, and ability that inevitably lets the shot down. Well, that's what I find anyway when I look back over my my images and it's like, yeah, I messed up there, I messed up doing that. You know, I should have like composition wise or thinking about the lighting that's that's all in my control it's nothing to do with the camera yeah yeah but still you weren't the most expensive one you could get just to you know <laughs> just so i can have autofocus yeah. <laughs> just you know because, because, <laughs> because lazy 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 John. um so when you're taking pictures um what is it that's going to make you go for that versus picking up or, or i suppose a better way of looking at it is, when are you going to go to medium format? What's the what's the thing that makes you go? No, this is a medium format sort of day. On this day, I want to get fewer frames, um, and I want a bigger form factor, and I want to do away with these conveniences of the camera doing everything mm -hmm. for me. Essentially, it's probably even framing the shots up for you. That Nikon does everything. <laughs> um, yeah. um, but what makes you reach for your Mamiya? Uh, I think <laughs> it's a good question because I don't. I stepped away from shooting medium format recently mm. because the F6 is so small and kind of a good weight. It's really easy just to chuck in my like a shoulder bag and go. Yeah. Whereas the Mamiya, it's like I start thinking about it. I'm just like, oh, I need, probably need to take a couple of lenses with me. 
it protrudes out a bit so it's a bit awkward as I'm walking along. Yeah. You know, I probably just need a good bag. That's probably what I really need to invest in for it. Um, so that those things kind of put me off from using it. So the things that tip me over the edge are when I've got more time, I'm probably taking a tripod with me as well. Um, so I'm setting shots up and being a bit more considered. And then if it's the reason to do that would be that I just want the highest quality pro possible, probably. Um, I'm thinking about doing maybe larger prints with the photos. Um, well, um, you, so you do tons of printing. So when you say you want to do a, you want the larger negative because you want to do larger prints, in your experience, yeah. at what point do you think uh, 35mm neg is a bit too small? What size do you start getting above <laughs> and you think, uh, actually, 35mm neg isn't ideal for this? You know, say you want to get a really nice, high-quality, well-detailed print. Where oh, would you want to cut off uh, line? Because you know, like I said, there, there are people who might not. Film you shooting with as well, though, doesn't okay, it? Okay, yeah, all right. Well, shoot. you know, give give us some examples <laughs> because like there are, there may be people out there who are listening who don't own a medium format camera, um, yeah. and and they hear that sort of statement of, well, go for the bigger neg because you want the better quality, and that's such a broad statement, um, yeah. and I, and I don't and, I, and it's it doesn't it doesn't actually say anything either. <laughs> So I guess I'm trying to narrow down because because you print with these things, it, we can get it into more real terms. So give us some examples of how in like real life use you found the differences playing out. This is very vague, so I haven't actually got any kind of conclusive comparisons between this. Um, but if you, say you're shooting pan f, so you're shooting a low ISO film on 35 mil, you're going to get you're going to be able to get higher quality larger print from than like well le a less grainy print i should say than like i don't know iso 800 on medium format you know you're going to see less grain at i don't know let's say 16 by 20 print mm -hmm. um i just pluck pluck that size out of the uh, out of the air like so i've I printed a 35 mil neg I've done a print of that larger than 20 by 24 and it's grainy as, but at the same time, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, I really like it. So it's like, it's what your expectations are. If, if you want a large print that doesn't have any grain and you're constrained to 35 mil, you've got to use a low ISO film yeah. or like a low grade film. Yeah, it's that, they're, they're the variables that you're playing with or you've got to use a medium format camera. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, if we're saying that quality-wise, you can go. I mean, for most people's usage, you can go pretty big if you're prepared to go with um, finer grain film. What are the other reasons for actually wanting to shoot medium format at all? Um, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> I mean, I, I, okay, so no, nice big negatives are a pain to scan. See, I don't store. get that. I don't know. I don't <laughs> understand. I, and I've said this on here before. I know there's a lot of bitching and moaning about scanning negatives, and I really don't find it that much of a bind. And I'm just using my flatbed scanner, which I've had for eight years and it was the cheaper you know it was the low end 500 epsilon and at some point it's going to die and it's going to break my heart cause it's going to be really expensive to replace um <laughs> but you know like it's done me great and i don't find them any worse for that um for me 
the reason that I like shooting um, medium format. One, uh, it's the different user experience. Um, mm-hmm. it's because I tend to, the, the medium format cameras that I'm most likely to use are probably going to be a TLR, number one, mm-hmm. um, or my Bronica. Um, and it, particularly with the TLR, it's just a different experience of shooting completely. And so I'm approaching it differently and I'm thinking about things differently. And, and I think this is a really important thing for me, it's a square format neg. So you're thinking about the framing differently. It's a, it's a completely yeah. different mindset. Um, yeah. th- that distinction becomes less so with the Bronica because the Bronica is a um, 6 by 45 which is, you know, it's not the same as 35mm, but it's not a million miles away. And, yeah. um, and the negative quality is bigger, so it has more detail in there. But again, it's not a huge negative. I, mean, I personally think yeah. that 645 cameras are a really brilliant middle ground in terms of their usability their value and um their uh quality that they can produce as well because i think it's yeah. just a lovely size um but because the, the mamiya 7 that's six by seven isn't it yeah it is yeah so that's a huge that's such a massive, massive. step up from 35 yeah, mil yeah. um, and how many <laughs> shots are you getting out of a roll of film on there uh it's 10 isn't it i, think. I don't know I, I don't i don't have a six by seven format camera <laughs> <laughs> what? Because I, I, I mean, the Mir Seven is not a cheap camera. Again, are, are you going to tell me you got that on eBay real cheap? And I'm going to call. Yeah, I did. Bullet. Yeah, I, 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 so I say I bought it five years ago. Yeah. Five so years ago is nothing, John. Five years ago is nothing. Okay. Um, but <laughs> but it, was a, it was at a point when these, like, okay, the F6 I only bought last year, but um, it was at a point when film cameras weren't like they've, they've skyrocketed, haven't they, in the last yeah. two three years. You know, and the Mamiya 7 is like an example of that. For some reason, everyone's just gone crazy for it. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very fortunate with that, I guess, because I, I certainly wouldn't buy it now, I don't think. Um, if I was looking for a medium format camera, I don't think I would buy that camera. Mm. Um, uh, because I'd want something that's easier to transport around without it being feeling like it's just got something protruding yeah. <laughs> it can catch on everything you know and get caught on stuff so well then bearing in mind that you've got one of the most expensive i mean you know there are more expensive, but one of the upper tier of expensive medium format cameras um and the negative size is so so big that you're on the upper you know like pretty much top tier size of negatives as well mm-hmm. but it does have these um things that are stopping you from using it as much as you might do have you thought of selling it and getting a different medium format camera uh no <laughs> because i'm i'm because i'm used to it and um i understand the metering in it and it's a rangefinder which i really like so i wouldn't change it because then i'd have to relearn and kind of re and i know it shouldn't take that long to do that but so i've got an attachment to this camera now because I've, I've been traveling with it and I've shot certain shots with it. So it's like, I've, I've bonded with it. It's mine. Oh, <laughs> I'm <boy>. not saying <laughs> it. <laughs> that sounds terrible to me. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, each to their own. I, I, I mean, I'm sure it's a lovely camera. I, I've had more than one person say to me that they view it as kind of the best medium format camera if you want something that is just usable because 
for a 6x7 camera, although it is a big, lumpy, ugly thing, um, compared to the alternatives like the RB and the RB67s, um, yeah. it's a lot more of a compact proposition. Um, the, the thing I don't, I've actually I don't like about it at all is you can't uh, focus very close with it. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know what the closest focus is, actually. I think it's like a metre or something. So it's like for portrait work, you can't... You, you just can't get close to subjects at all. Um, it's, for portraits, it's all right actually. But like, so I'm doing like some still life, some dried flowers at the moment, and it's terrible for that because I mm. just can't get close enough to them. Um, so yeah, I'd, 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 and I haven't done any research to think what would be a good alternative for that use actually. Um, if only you had, what, I don't know, some it? sort of a TLR. That might be quite handy. Some sort of TLR, <laughs> maybe with one with interchangeable lenses. Does yours have the interchangeable lenses? The, is it the yeah, C330 it does, that yeah, has? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So why don't you use that? I mean, apart from the fact that it's a, a big, question. heavy lump. <laughs> but for still lives, <laughs> it's a, it, it is a big, heavy lump made for still lives and portraits. Do you know what? I'll, I'll give that a go, Graham. Thanks. Thanks for <laughs> reminding me. <laughs> you can stop what being an ornamental I piece. <laughs> I've got to remember what lenses I've got. I've got a 55 mil, and I think I've got. I might have an 80 mil for it. I can't remember. Yeah, because it's like what, the use case is so important. What what yeah. you again getting back to the original point of what made me think about this. Rory <laughs> saying that he wants to get this now. Rory's out there taking pictures. You know, he's doing band shoots. He's doing all sorts of stuff like loads of fashion stuff. Right. And I said to him like, Yeah, this is a big heavy lump of a camera. Um, yeah, and. He said, well, I'm it's gonna, a studio I'll, camera, right? Yeah, and and I think that's what he's primarily thinking he's going to use it for is he's going to stick it on the tripod and use it for studio work. I mean, which... Yeah. But uh, six by seven legs, to me, unless you have quite a specific use, seem like overkill. <laughs> In terms of the detail they provide, there's not... Unless you're doing billboard-sized things... Um, Square, uh, you know, six by six or a six four five is probably going to give you more than enough detail for so much stuff, um, and the the weight trade off, uh, because it has there is, to. There's a, there's an aesthetic reason as well, though, isn't for for frame size difference. Regards, um, is it like the depth of field, the like the, dependent on your, oh, I don't know, the aperture that you're shooting at. It's, it's the same, but on a larger frame size, your depth of field is. Shallower. visually less yeah yeah like yeah yeah that's so certainly that could true. be one reason yeah yeah i mean the, the aesthetics does make a lot of sense if if you um again i think it's one of those things if i don't think i think i'd be wary of buying a camera just for a very specific aesthetic look because especially if you're using it for more general shooting if you're not shooting it thinking well i'm going to be doing product photography or model shoots so i know i want this look specifically so i'm going to go for this thing because something that might look great for doing one particular style of photography you might go okay well today i'm going to go out and um, do some street photography or walk around and try and do some landscape shots and suddenly go oh, i don't like yeah. the look on this at all um and so uh, just is it rory like where has he seen that camera that's inspired him to buy it i don't know i i would I would guess it's seeing people's work online. I've from listening yeah. to um, Johnny over at Classic Lenses. Uh, Johnny Sissons works, um, or yeah, I know that at the moment they're closed uh, or partially closed down. Um, at the um, 
Oh, I can't remember, can't remember what the name of the photography shop is in Chicago where Johnny works. It's gone from my brain. Anyway, he was saying that he sees a lot of young shooters coming in there and specifically asking for the RB and the RZ 6x7. Six, seven. So there's, there's obviously a reason that they are quite in the zeitgeist at the moment. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and I don't but, know what... Like that's, that's, it's a dangerous thing, isn't it, if you see images from a photographer and they're saying they use a certain camera and you want to replicate that look, like you say, it's not coming from the camera, that look, it's coming from the lighting, the composition, you know, like potentially the lens as well. I think like sometimes lenses associated with cameras are important for getting certain looks, but that's not to say you wouldn't get incredibly close. And also why don't you want to do something a little different and that's your own rather than just replicating somebody else's look? Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. And especially as you've just mentioned, they're getting cameras are getting really expensive these days. And I suppose the, the upside of that is that um, you generally speaking, you can sell them for what you're buying them for. That's the great thing with analog yeah. stuff. And you might even make a profit on them. You know, if you're lucky and you buy sensibly, you might even make a small profit on them. So that does remove. <laughs> if this lockdown goes on for two more months, I'm selling them a mere seven. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Unless you drop that on the floor too. Um, so, <laughs> so if you've got the, like the funds to try things out and give it a go and see if it's for you, then I guess there's no harm, no foul in any of these things. But some of these cameras that have become popular are, are, were built originally with such specific uses in mind. As you said, the the um, the RB and the RZ, they, they're studio cameras. That's what they were built for. Of course, mm -hmm. there are people who take them out on the streets and go shooting with them, because of course there are, because there are nutters everywhere. Yeah. But they're really heavy, super, super heavy um, and unwieldy. And, um, and I'm sure there are people making this amazing street photography and all sorts of stuff out there with them. But they're not built for that, so they're not well suited to it. Um, so yeah, I think thinking about what, because there's not many situations where you find yourself needing something super specific for it. So this weekend, I was doing some photography, which arguably you do need a super specific camera for, um, because I wanted to do some still lives, and the only things I could think of to take pictures of were my cameras, because I'm my day, you know, as I mentioned on the Twitter yeah. post, uh, on the Instagram post, They're after the my of your life. <laughs> after Sinead they're the most beautiful things in the house as far as I'm concerned <laughs> yeah. um, so okay I'm going to take some pictures of these and I I decided that I was going to do it using the direct positive paper because I can then take some pictures go develop it and see how it goes and the nice thing is that what I could do with it because I was shooting large format is I could use the mm. now you know, John you're going to have to remind me here is it shift where you turn from side to side or is that tilt? Tilt's backwards and forwards. The, the shift. The shift. Have I done it right? <laughs> I think it's, too, I think it's, it's too shift. Late. Yeah, it's, yeah, I think it's shift. So um, essentially I could have the cameras at an angle so they weren't just straight onto the camera. I could have the cameras at an angle yeah. so they looked more interesting and then um, shift the angle of the front standard on uh, my camera, this is on the Intrepid, because I don't, as I said, the, cat, the chrome was not here yet. So on the Intrepid, so that the plane of focus is in line with this angled front of the camera instead yeah. of straight on. Um, and that's the thing that I could only do that with that camera. I could only do that with a large yeah. format camera. I couldn't do that with, you know, unless you've got 
a super expensive tilt shift lens, which most people yeah. don't. <laughs> I think it's fairly safe to say, unless you're shooting a lot of architecture or something like that, you probably don't have a tilt shift lens. Um, so that's a use case where to achieve that look and do that thing, I needed that specific camera. Um, but it's not often that comes up really, is it? If you're weigh, weighing up the cost, though, if that's something that you really want to do and you're, you're in a, like a 35mm <coughs> ecosystem, it, what's the cost of a tilt-shift 35mm lens in comparison to entering the world of large format? You know, is, is it equivalent? No, I think I it's more. I, I think it's oh, substantially right, right. more, actually. I mean, setting right. aside, I suppose, if you've got a camera like yours, which you can use all the most modern lenses on, you've got more accessibility. But uh, yeah, I think I, I, I'm pulling numbers out of my butt here, but I think you're probably looking upwards of £700 and onwards for those things. Oh, okay. They're expensive yeah. lenses. Um, and, yeah. it, it, and if you're shooting an old camera, not only are you unlikely to be able to find one, um, they, they made them, they exist, but they're rare. And so even if you're shooting an old system, you know, like my Olympus OM or something like that, yes, they exist, but they're like hen's teeth and you're going to pay through the nose oh, for them. Okay. Um, so you absolutely could get into. I mean, I, large format has become so much more uh, a viable, I think, for a lot of people. Because um, I, I know before I started, uh, there was this. I, I very much thought, well, I'm never going to shoot large format because it's just too expensive. Um, yeah. Yeah. But it really doesn't have to be anymore, does it? I mean, no, talk, not at all. And like, it's a great way to like learn photography because it is. It's so simple, isn't it? You know, it strips everything else away and you just need to understand understand the fundamentals of everything when you're using it. Mm. And that's I, the, the, the price entry for getting into it. it like, I think when you start thinking about developing, it's possibly a little different, isn't it? Because if you send off your film to develop large format, it gets quite pricey to do that. Mm. Um, so it's worth kind of investing in your own development stuff, I think. But yeah, the actual entry cost is is fantastic. How did you get into it? Um, oh, how did I start? With that? I, I had a friend that was shooting large format, and this is kind of how I started to get back into film as well. And he was just obsessed with the amount of detail you could get from a large format frame. Um, and then I think I bought an MPP. Um, I can't, I can't remember what model it was. Mark Seven, which is like one of those old, like it folds up in on itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but it like it cost pittance on eBay. It was the springs on it were knackered. It was really clunky. But I used to like carry it up mountains and stuff because I was doing a bit of landscape photography at the time. And it was so heavy, um, but I absolutely loved it. Like it was so slow, and I every photo I took was just rubbish. <laughs> but it was just it was an absolute like pleasure to go go through that whole process and then end up with this massive negative at the end of it. You're just like this is incredible. Yeah, yeah. there was um, and since then you've moved on and you've got your um, vintage chroma now, your old school Gen yeah. One chroma um, back yeah. from the good old days, the Model T of chromas in many ways. <laughs> it's um, a, I think it's got a bit of mold on it now. It's so old. <laughs> <laughs> it's a feature not a bug. Um, how the the big thing about the chroma is it's 
um, gives you a lot more flexibility, I think, than the MPP because it's got a, a fuller range of movements than the MPP yeah. does. Uh, have you uh, have you used that as much as you thought you would since getting it? No, I don't like. I've never really got into using the movements much. Like for landscape photography, I was doing a fair amount, of kind of like tilting just to go um, along the ground. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I've done like some test like product shots where I've, I've done the same as you, like you align the angle with the, the size of the side of the item that you're photographing. But I've never really kind of experimented with that, that element of it. Um, don't know why. I suppose you need the right, um, you need to be, if you're going to start pushing hard at things, you need to have the right reason to do it. And if you're not doing, if you're not going out and doing, um, architectural photography or shooting buildings and stuff like that where oh here's an obvious use case i'm going to get these verticals all yeah. nice and square and things like that then you've got no reason to um no. but it's nice to have the option there to, to play around with I mean, and that's yeah you know I, I made a reason to play around and practice it yesterday um and, and get out there and to have to sort of stop and think and that is the thing when you're doing these things like so the situation the setup that i had yesterday so I've got this old brass lens that somebody gave me yonks ago, and I don't. It's not got any branding on it. It's just got um, the f stops on it, so it's got adjustable aperture in there, but it's got no shutter, mm. and uh, it fits through the um, lens board that I've got, but it doesn't fix onto it. So it just wraps. Up. I basically use loads of electrical tape to just kind of hold it in place <laughs> in this lens board, yeah. um, and then because it's got no shutter, I made I, I got an old lens cap and then padded it out to kind of fit so this, that with loads of tape on it and so i've got my camera set up there i've got it tilted and i've got uh, uh shifted to be in play and i've got it tilted slightly um backwards as well to compensate for the fact that the lens is tilting forward in yeah. the um because it's not because it's being held in place with electrical tape um so the whole <laughs> thing is super heath robinson and you you really have to concentrate because i'm i'm framing it all up and i'm looking and making sure it's all right and um and then i have to make sure i remember to put the lens cap on before i yeah. put the film and there's there's so many ways that it can go wrong but it's quite good discipline um to, to make you think about the steps that you're doing um that's what I love about large format. Yeah, definitely. And the more you do it, at some point, it just it all clicks into place, and the muscle memory just goes through the same routine every time. Mm. And you get like I I found I get to the point now where like I'm not questioning. Oh, did I take the dark side out? It's like you know you did because you're in such a routine with it. You're doing it. You're doing exactly the same process every time. Mm. Like there's a period where you're just like. Oh, I'm gonna to have to take another frame of that just in case I didn't do it right last time. And you, you, for some reason, even though it happened like ten seconds ago, you can't remember whether you did it or not. Yeah, it's really annoying. Yeah. So um, I've got a question for you, John. If if you were talking to somebody, um, somebody who's been shooting for a while, they've got a 35 mil camera that they really love, but they're thinking about expanding what they've got. They want to explore new avenues. Where would you recommend they go? They said they've got you know a nice SLR. Um, you know, not yeah. as fancy as yours, obviously, but they've got a nice SLR. <laughs> Where would you suggest somebody goes for a next step to give them that will bring them something new, um, but give them something versatile to try as well? Oh, I, I, I can't answer that, can you? It, it totally comes down to what subjects you're shooting. Mm. You know, if you're 
But if, if you're a generalist like me, for example, who shoots whatever. A generalist. Yeah. Um, I would possibly. I don't. I, is this generalist developing their own film? <laughs> uh, I or, think we should always be encouraged. Yeah, let's say. Let, experiment. Yeah, well, do it. well, let's see. You can give an answer for either. Right. <laughs> I'm being very vague about this because I, I, I genuinely don't think there's a, a casual answer to that question because it totally comes down to the individual and what you're, you're shooting. Mm. But as a fun, like as we just discussed, a large format camera and kind of buying some double dark sides is probably cheaper than investing in a, a, like a medium format camera if you start like thinking, oh, yeah, I'm going to get a really good medium format camera. You might as well just get a large format because the, the things you can do with that and the flexibility of it, like shooting paper negs, you know, it's like it's a real cheap, easy way of making really interesting images. Um, and it gets you into like developing paper as well, you know, like potentially doing a bit of dark green work if you've never done that before. So, yeah, there's, there's loads of flexibility and fun to be had with, with large formats compared to just like if you're going from 35 mil to medium format you're just gonna you might just go well it's just another camera isn't it mm. i'm shooting the same stuff in a very similar way i've just got more detail and a larger frame to it whereas i think with large format there is, there's definitely a wow factor to the images that you you can produce with it mm. i do i do love um as i mentioned earlier i do love my tlrs for the for the reason that you you've got a different shooting experience and um mm -hmm. and the square the, the fact that you're framing in the square neck but this is another one of those cameras where i think it's really important that you try it before you buy it because you know, as yeah. i know from talking to aid he doesn't get on with tlrs at all really doesn't enjoy the experience of using them um and it's that just the, the framing them and that the actual kind of like looking into it and the, the back to frontness of of like the uh, composition with them yes i think he just again i'm you know saying what a said a long time ago and probably getting it wrong but i think essentially he just found the whole experience completely non-intuitive um yeah. and he felt like he was fighting it the whole time to try and get what he wanted as opposed to getting any actual pleasure and feeling in any kind of sync and i know that part of that as well listen if you persevere with anything you'll get better at it and you'll you will mentally adjust and calibrate your brain to go oh, and well, move left to get the image in the right yeah. of the frame more but if you're just not getting an enjoyment out of using it um why persevere with it because as you've just said you know the the image quality upgrade whilst it, it is substantial in terms of the detail that's there but if you're only going to share that on instagram uh or you know, make small <laughs> prints from it it doesn't matter it really doesn't matter the, the, the only way you'll see that in the small it is in the depth of field difference um and you could buy a faster lens for your slr if you want the super shallow depth of field i mean i know and i'm sure um if simon ever listens to this he will be yelling at me going well no these different lenses on these different cameras makes it but uh, you know so i, I appreciate that that is not the, you know as cut and dried as it is but to somebody somebody starting out with this i think if the shallow depth of field is the thing then a whole new camera system and a whole new format to achieve that probably isn't the most sensible no. way forward yeah i agree and it's the same as like what i just said about getting a large format you know if you know fundamentally you're the sort of person that is going to find that whole process a pain so it's going to stop you from using it. Don't go for it. You've mm. got to pick something that suits your personality. You know, if you're the sort of person that likes getting involved in 
with that with it's very difficult to say with that sort of thing if you've never experienced it ideally you want to have a go with these sort of the formats don't you in cameras before you commit to to buying something yourself mm. is there any i mean you haven't got do you have more cameras other than the ones we talked about do you have more <laughs> than just floating around um oh i've got a shitty camera challenge <laughs> mac is it a machina machina Mm-hmm. It's just terrible. 35 mil. Um, it's probably not on Makina. Aren't Makina Plowbells the really expensive ones? That doesn't oh, seem yeah, like... Maybe not. <laughs> probably maybe, not. It begins no. with an M. I know that. Okay. <laughs> uh, it's from the 80s. It's, it's, it's white with like a red stripe on it. It's great. Mm. Um, have I got anything else? I don't think I have, you know. So you're not a good person to ask Tim. So I'm going to put this out there to our <laughs> listeners. I would, I would love to hear from our listeners uh, if there have been any situations where they have bought a camera that they've thought that they've really wanted only to find either that they just flat out didn't like it or that they've not ended up using it as much as they thought they would do when they were buying it because for whatever reason it might be, I would love to hear from that. Email us at sunny16podcast.com and just let us know um, because I, I, you know, I, I'm trying to think what the closest example would be for me. Um, hmm... Nothing's immediately coming to mind, actually, I think, because I've been lucky enough that I've been able to borrow cameras over the years and try things out and find what things are for me and what things are not necessarily yeah. for me. Like Hamish, at this point years ago, lent me um, a Leica to try out. And obviously it's mm-hmm. a lovely camera and it's really nice to use. And um, But what I realised using it was that it wasn't something that I was thinking, oh, I really want to go out and take some pictures with this thing. It's like, oh, yeah, that's fun. I, I ought to go out and take some pictures with it whilst I've got it um, and not the other way around. So it's that and not having the money to when, buy it with Whenever anyway. I've bought cameras, I've always done a lot of research from different sources about information about similar cameras to decide which one I wanted rather than just going, oh, I've seen one review or this person got these images with it, ergo, I want that camera. Mm. I spend a lot of time kind of researching and then I'll sit on it and just wait until the point where I'm just like, actually, that's, I found the purpose why I need that camera, you know, and it fits, it fits that reasoning to it. Well, I should, I, realistically, I should have bought an F6 about a year ago, well, well over a year ago with the sort of stuff I was shooting in hindsight. Mm. But it wasn't until I did this wedding that where I was just like, I don't, I really need the autofocus for this because I was so kind of nervous about shooting the wedding that I knew I didn't want it to affect the images. That mm-hmm. makes sense. I needed to like take take away that stress of of the focus, being able to focus quickly, um, so I could like put that into right. I need to concentrate because I'm in a new environment with with the pressure on it. Um, but now I've got it, I'm just like, I go, I, I'm actually getting different shots because I'm not having to spend time thinking about the focusing. Um, so yeah, I, I, it is all about what you're using your cameras for rather than, oh, I can make that type of image or I've seen an image and I want to replicate it. Just think about what you want to make with them. Yeah, I'm not sure we've really achieved a great deal. <laughs> In this rambling conversation, but I guess I suppose <laughs> if there's a point anywhere in all this stuff, um, it is don't get sucked up into the um, the sort of the gear ladder of thinking that you need to move up. That there's like a hierarchy, and that the higher up you go, 
the better your work will get all the way find find what works for you that you enjoy using and you'll make better pictures with it you might have a camera that's worth 30 quid that you can take pictures that are better with than a camera that might be worth a thousand pounds if you were given the same one um expensive high-end stuff does not mean you're going to make better pictures with it find something that works for you that you're comfortable with and fits with what you want to shoot and you're going to get much much better results than just something that happens to be more on trend or higher end or whatever it is i think that's that that was a much better summary than mine was wasn't it <laughs> well no you, you said the same thing though Joe. i mean you, you you found you knew what your needs were and you found one that fitted within your needs and now because yeah. you've got a tool that is doing what you want to do and working the way that you want it to work it's freeing up your brain to do better photography because yeah. it, it, it's you know exactly well, and it's, it's, it's about getting to know that tool as well, isn't it? Like once yeah. you've got it, you ha- you have to spend you have to put the time into it and understand it, yeah, know, and, and get out of it what you need. Yeah, but I think you have you have to you have to like the camera in the first place to do that. Like we said about yeah. Aiden's TLRs, yeah. he just didn't enjoy it, so he's never going to get to that point. Um, so yeah. finding something that you like, even if you like it. Because aesthetically, you think it's something. I mean, I've got that few. I can say, oh, that's a really beautiful camera. I'm going to use it just because I love it, and I'll get yeah. past certain elements of it. Um, but yeah, ideally, it's beautiful and it's also fun to use. That's the dream. Uh, you know, I, I know that's how much the main reason I use my my Chroma is because it's bright red. <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> I was. I go outside I with that, and people are like, "What is this?" Mm. <laughs> Uh, you did an article for Emulsive, sort of the uh, first review of the Chroma camera, and the main reason you gave for buying it was because it was red. So maybe we should yeah. have taken everything you said this evening with a dis- very large pinch of salt. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I was a complete <laughs> sucker for that. A complete sucker. <laughs> Fortunately, color? it turned out to be a quite a good camera as well. Right. That is lucky. That is lovely. No, they are lovely yeah. cameras. Not quite as good as the new ones that I'm getting, which is yeah. made of carbon fibre. <laughs> has all the modifications on it. But it's very what nice. colours the, uh, the carbon fibre? Uh, it's uh, a carbon fibre colour. It's green. It's, sort of it's, that. it's just carbon fibre colour. It's grey, isn't it? Grey sort of carbon fibre. <laughs> not carbon fibre. Everyone knows what carbon fibre looks like, right? It's it's not been painted or anything like that. No! It's oh, my goodness. People wouldn't... How would people know it was carbon fibre if you couldn't see the carbon <laughs> fibre? Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm not spending all this money for people to think it's just one of your bog-standard chrome. Very good camera for <laughs> they I, are. Could I spray paint mine to make it look carbon fibre? <laughs> I would love to see that attempted. Yes, I would very... You could probably get some, um, like... Uh, stickers vinyl stickers to go over the top of it that you can absolutely you should do that um yeah (laughs) you should definitely do that well i'm I'm not sure how long we've been rambling on for but it feels like yeah it's been too long (laughs) probably too long too long so we should probably wrap this up um now i know you said at the beginning that you're taking a week off from doing your youtube channel but you are going to be coming back aren't you john yes yeah i will come back uh what what day next week some point just check out my youtube channel get in touch via twitter or something it'd be great to have some people on graham obviously that includes yourself at some point um when the after dark kind of, show start i'm there yeah <laughs> and just like connect like, it doesn't have to be dark room related at all it's just nice to chat isn't it really mm-hmm. like this i guess um, yeah so yeah I'd, i don't know how long i'll i'd like to keep it going after lockdown's over it's for all the the pain that it's caused me um, it's actually really good fun, and I've, I felt like I feel like I've like really connected with a few people through it as well. Like Hillary sent in a 
video of doing a Polaroid lift because I tried to do it live, mm-hmm. failed miserably. <laughs> and Yay! She... <laughs> it's the way these things should go, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so she did it like amazingly and filmed it and sent it through, and I showed that on the stream as well. So it, it's it's really good fun, and um, it's really nice to kind of make those connections with people rather than it just like cause social media is just a wash with images and. I really find it difficult to engage with that. Whereas this, it's there's a bit more to it, I think. Yeah, and uh, you're at the Dark Shed on Instagram and Twitter. What kind of stuff you've been sharing there? I know Instagram maybe more than Twitter. You've not been on Twitter a great deal, but um, uh, you've been sharing I, on there lately. Uh, no, I've not. I think I've posted three photos to Instagram in the last month. Uh, Twitter is normally where I go. Okay, um, I've been posting a few lockdown things. You know, as everybody does on their uh, exercise walks and stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, yeah, that's funny, yeah. go and find John in these places and help him get up to his 100, uh, 100 scrub- <laughs> yes. subscribers, subscribers, so he can get scrub- his name scrubbers. up in <laughs> Scrubbers. Yeah, could be one of John's <laughs> top 100 Scrubbers. Um, uh, that would be fantastic. And John, I mean, I'm sure you know, you'll be up for some more co-hosting duties whilst AIDS away, won't you? Yeah, why not? <laughs> Maybe get somebody else on next time. <laughs> <laughs> no, we like your rambling waffle. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. And <laughs> um, we'll we'll try and persuade. Maybe once they've heard that you're not awful, maybe we can persuade Claire and Rachel to come back. Um, I that would be, be great. It would be great. That would be great. Then then I can just mute my microphone and listen. <laughs> <laughs> In eight bold sweets. Um, yeah. Well. We will leave you then, listeners. Um, John, thanks so much for stepping in this week. It's hugely appreciated. Uh, get in touch, as I said earlier, at sunny16podcast at gmail.com. Um, yeah, that's right. That is the email address. Um, uh, if you've got <laughs> you've thoughts been, on anything, I can't even remember my own like, handles, and you've been doing this years. Oh, I know, but <laughs> I've been doing it very badly for years. And also, A's responsible for this bit of the show, which is why I do it I terribly. Um, but I would really love to hear from listeners on your thoughts on your camera journeys, because we've all been on them. And, you know, Some of them have been kind of more focused, like John's has, more organised, more like, this is what I need, that's the camera I'm going to get. Some of them have been more kind of general explosion of, well, if I see a camera, I'm going to pick it up, like mine has, and then you kind of pick out from that what you like and what you don't like um right in and let us know what's been your successes what have been your failures what have you found out um i would be fascinated to hear that and we'll read them out on backing paper as we always do we will play you out just quickly how many cameras have you got graham oh geez i honestly don't know Uh, over 60 um 60 yes i'm sure of that (laughs) um over 60 and and I, and I think I do love pretty much all of them. Do I don't? Um, I did. I have got rid of a couple lately, and I'm going to get another one sent off before too long as well because uh, I came to the realization that I have cameras that I'm never going to shoot. Um, <laughs> that uh, you know, I have either doubles or just other like. Let's take SLRs as an example. I have quite a lot of SLRs, and you don't right. need quite a lot. Even building, even allowing for redundancies of well, what if one dies? that's fair enough <laughs> what if six die seems like i'm being excessively negative um which is why i gave away a couple of slrs uh, earlier in the year and um, i'm going to be shipping off um a tlr to somebody soon um because again it's like i've got the tl i've got a couple of tlrs that i love using i've got two yashikas that i love using um this other camera the this um Myopta, i don't love using mm-hmm. 
So I put a roll of film through it. Um, you know, I got it fixed and stuff. It's all working. Linden down at Londonium Cameras got it fixed and working for me. So it's all working. But I've used it like, yeah, I just would rather be using these cameras. So why have it set on my shelf when somebody else can get some pleasure from it? So I'm trying to get better yeah. about passing some of these things on, getting them out into the world. Um, well, unless you're like being a collector about it and you're, you're keeping, because you like the look of them in your, in your house and all that sort of stuff, then if they're just kind of hidden away somewhere, then yeah, give them to somebody who's actually going to use them. Yeah, and, and that's the way I'm at. I, like, I, I, don't, I quite like having collections of old cameras and vintage stuff and cool, fun looking old stuff. That I'm quite happy having on my shelves, but having a good working camera just sat there not being used feels kind of wrong to me. <laughs> So yeah. I'm trying to yeah, do yeah. steps because there are a lot of people out there who could make use of these to make fantastic art and um, actively stopping that from happening by holding them. So, you know, I'm it's working selfish, it. Graham. It is selfish. selfish. I'm a selfish, <laughs> selfish man. I'm trying to get better. <laughs> it's a long road to um, recovery, but I'll get there uh, anyway. <laughs> Right, sorry, sorry. That was yeah, thought. you should be. You should be. Um, we will play you out as always with um, uh, Rocha, Rachel's fabulous band from the album Promises I Should Have Kept, uh, which you can find on Spotify and on Amazon and wherever good music can be streamed. And we will be back on Sunday or Monday, probably, with backing paper. Until then, thank you very much for listening and goodbye. Bye.